watching the nightly news Don't seem to find the rhythm Just wanna sing the blues Feels like a song that never stops Feels like it's never gonna Gotta get that fire fire back in my bones Before my hard heart turns into stone So somebody please pass the megaphone I'll shout it on the count of three Let me hear from you if you are thankful that Christ came once and he's coming again. Amen? That gives us joy. Yes. Hey, I'm excited again. I hope you can feel it already. It is no problem for me to say this again. Rejoice. No matter what happens, we are to rejoice. That's not my own thoughts. That's in the word of God from the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Look, look it with me uh, on, the, on the text. He says, whatever happens. Well, Tyson, what if this happens? What if that? No, look what Paul says. Whatever happens, dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. It is my honor and privilege to say again, and following the example of Paul, it is exciting uh, to remind you whatever happens to rejoice. It safeguards our faith. Here's what Paul's saying. Uh, we are to continually to, to go to Jesus for our joy because that, it, that grounds our faith, that, that, that protects our hearts and our minds. Here's what the truth is. The God of the universe, the God that created everything, the God that is in control of everything, loves you and I enough to send his son uh, to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, to be crucified, to take on the, the shape of a human, to, to be a servant, to, to be put to death, even a death on a cross. That's what Paul says in chapter 2. And you're like, man, that's full of sorrow. That's full of pain. There is no happiness in the cross. Jesus said he endured that detail for the joy set before him. And here's the joy. Uh, the second part of that passage in Philippians 2.9 says this. Therefore, because Jesus was fully human, he, he uh, made himself a servant and faced death. Therefore, God exalted him the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I wonder here who believes that today, that Jesus is the name above all names. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Uh, you're in a position in a pew. It's very hard to bow down. I'm going to bow down because there's going to be a day where God's people and anyone before Jesus will know he's the Lord. And together on the count of three, it won't have to be done in heaven like this. Peter's not going to say now one, two, three. They're, you're going to, they're going to get it. But today we're going to proclaim Jesus is Lord, okay? Together, if you can get into place, you can kneel. If you want to raise your hand, do whatever you need to do. But we're going right now, in this moment, on the count of three, Jesus, Lord. Are you with me? It gives us, let's, let's declare our joy. One, two, three, Jesus is Lord. Amen. Praise God for that. 
there is going to be a day where that is a uniting factor no matter what you believe now. He says, everyone's going to come to that realization. But right now, that's what, that unifies us. He says this in chapter 2. He says, if you're united in Christ, then, then be like-minded and focused on his mission. I want to remind you of this passage again in, in chapter 2, verse 1. It says, therefore. What is this therefore there because of? It's because in chapter 1, 18 different times, he says, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus about his good news. It's about his sacrifice. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... Any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Always be ready to promote the good news of Jesus. Let that be our uniting factor. You know, uh, last week we focused on just the fact that Jesus was in verse 1 of chapter 2. But the Trinity, all of the Trinity is there. Uh, look with me to the text again. It says, therefore, if you have any encouragement with Christ, we, we focused on that. And then it says, if you have any comfort from his love, we can quickly think, well, that's the love of Christ. The original Greek says, if you have any comfort from the love, do you know what the word of God says God is, the Father? The Father, God is what? Love. So uh, the, the, the Son is here. The Father and his love is here, but that's also seen in Jesus. And then he says the Spirit is there for comfort, for fellowship. So the Trinity is involved in our unity as we give God glory and, and rest in his joy. It's an amazing reality. Uh, I did not see that last Sunday as we preached through this text. It was revealed to me somewhere between uh, Sunday and I was reminded of it on, on Wednesday night when we got together for fellowship. So I want to give you an invitation on Wednesday night, uh, from now until when we don't do this, we're going to study the sermon in greater depth and study things like that detail. Wednesday night at 6.30 in room 101. There's also three other classes, one on spiritual parenting. So if you're a parent, I would recommend you do that because there's a difference between parenting so your kids don't die and parenting so your kids look like Jesus. There's truth to that. It's also a joke, Okay. There's times when you parent just to survive, just to make sure the diapers are clean and the kids have gas in their car and, and they don't make huge mistakes. Guys, we're called to a higher level of parenting, aren't we? So let's, let's, uh, we can gather and support with each other in that. That class is at 630 as well. There's also a class on the fundamentals of what we believe. And there's a class on finances. If you're really uh, wanting to, to nail down a biblical truth for your finances, uh, check out one of those four classes on Wednesday night. And we grow in that time, just like that truth of the Trinity is involved in our unity. Go back to the key text for today, though, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Paul starts out in the New Living Translation by saying, whatever happens. And I love that. He's saying, I'm going to rejoice whatever happens. He, he starts out in the NIV, which is just a translation of the original Greek. But, but I grew up with this translation. It's good as well. He says, finally... I think there's some comedy relief in that. He is just ended the, uh, the middle of the, the letter to the uh, Philippian church. And so he's just in chapter three based on uh, the letter that we have in our Bibles. And he says, finally, he's like, okay, I'm wrapping it up. He's just getting started. He's getting to the meat of it right here. While he's saying finally, he's, he's got a lot more to say. He says, finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again. It's a safeguard for you. I want to pause and know this, you to know this right now. What we're going to share today is a safeguard for you. 
If your heart is heavy, there's no happiness right now in your life. If you feel like things are getting out of control, maybe, maybe you've been hurt in a way that, that you're broken, this type of truth will safeguard you in your heart and your minds and your faith so you don't lose hope, so, so you can have joy no matter what. And here's the reality. We think sometimes it was easy for Paul to safeguard his faith. He, he met Jesus. Guys, Paul's writing this. He says, it's no trouble for me to write this again about joy. He's chained to a prison wall or maybe even a prison soldier. There is very much frustration in Paul's life. He thought he would go to Rome someday, Rome as a preacher. And yet his, his trip to Rome was as a prisoner. There was no happiness in this moment. And yet he says, it, it gives me great pleasure again to write to you to, to remain joyful. He realizes the church in Philippi is also suffering. They're under hard times, persecution. And in the midst of that situation, he chooses to say this, right? Don't worry, be happy. Is that what he says? No. He says, again, I rejoice. Paul understands happiness is, is going to come and go. But joy is something we can be anchored in, the, in knowing Jesus in. Here, here's our working definition for joy. Uh, it, it's something that you need to tuck away in your mind. It's, it's been helpful for me this month. Joy is experiencing great delight through trusting the Lord and anticipating his promises regardless of current circumstances. So, so joy is experiencing something better than happiness. It's this extreme emotional, spiritual connection to hope in God no matter what's going on around you. No matter what. That's why Paul says, whatever happens, I'm going to choose joy. See, happiness is an emotion that, that fades quickly. But joy is a spiritual feeling rooted in a relationship with the Lord. That, that's why the scripture says rejoice in what? The Lord. Happiness can come and go real quickly. Uh, like when, when you're getting ready for a meal at the Graber house and you pull out the loaf of bread and it's got mold all throughout it. You're like, what are we going to do now? Happiness is gone. Or maybe uh, something in your car breaks down. Or you find out some physical problem or a financial dilemma. It, it could be as simple as, uh, as bread being messed up to as big as you have a friend that is dying. Happiness will be gone. But we can rejoice in all that time in the Lord. That's what Paul's saying. Even when things aren't good. I'm going to look at three things today in this text in chapter 3 that can help us live out a joyful life. First, joy comes from knowing Christ as Lord and living in his grace. He says we rejoice in the Lord. Why is that so amazing? Because we get to live in his grace. Look what happens. This is, this is probably the most foundational truth that we're going to study today, and it's the least obvious. I didn't see this as first as all this week either. Uh, in fact, I was like, why are you talking about dogs in this passage? But let's look into it. It says, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things. I do it as a, to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. Let's go to the dog thing first. This is confusing. He, watch out for dogs. Why would you watch out for dogs? I mean, dogs are amazing. I know people that treat their pups better than other people. Dogs are pretty cool, especially when they're puppies. I mean, look at these puppies here. I mean... I'll take two of those today, right? The problem is they don't stay puppies forever. They're like 
kittens. They grow old and become adult cats and dogs. But, but some people, you were still in love with dogs and even cats. Uh, why would we want to watch out for dogs? Because here's a picture of two adult dogs. I mean, they're still lovable, aren't they? Yeah, Ben's like, yeah, that's the, on, the, on the right is his dog, Appa. Appa's a pretty cool dog. You know, why, why would you want to watch out for dogs? Because in Paul's day, while he's not talking about dogs, he's wanting them to think the people that they're around are much like dogs. Dogs do not like this, do not look like this in Paul's day. They are running in packs. Look, they probably look a lot more like this. Look at this picture. Dogs in Paul's day were dirty. They were scavengers. They were diseased, mangy. They were dangerous and they should be avoided at all costs. That, that's the mindset of when Paul says, watch out for these dogs. But Paul's not talking about a canine. He's talking about people that are killing the faith. He's talking about people that are adding to the gospel. Who? The Judaizers. It's a word you may have never heard before. A Judaizer is someone from the movement of Judaism uh, that, that tried to combine uh, the, the Old Testament faith, which was very much of a blessing, which pointed to Jesus' whole time. But they were stuck in the Jewish tradition and Jewish culture. And they said, okay, we're starting to believe in Jesus, but all the other things of the past, the Old Testament, you still got to do, especially you have to be circumcised. So here's the dangerous part about the Judaizers. They were adding to the gospel. Here's what I mean by this. Someone would come to faith in Jesus and they were like, hey, Jesus is the Messiah, the one we've been looking for. And if you trust him, there, there's a path. But that path also includes all the things of the Old Testament, especially the cutting of the flesh in circumcision. And so the weird thing is, people would come in this day to know Jesus. They would confess him as Lord. They would repent. They'd be baptized. Uh, they would do all these things. They would have fruits of the Spirit in their life. And they'd be like, yeah, you're not a Christian quite yet. You've got to be circumcised. They added circumcision as the primary thing combined with faith in Jesus for salvation. And Paul says, watch out for those dogs. And you're like, oh, we're never going to do that. I sure hope not. But here's the danger. Anything we add to Jesus that must be done based on what we do to our bodies or to our flesh or in our own works and power, we become dogs. We make it about what we've done instead of what he's already done. So in this, we've got to understand true joy comes from knowing that Jesus is the one who saves. That by his death, burial, and resurrection, that is the gospel, the good news, that our salvation is found in faith in him and what he's done for us, not what we can do or what someone has to do to ourselves. It is found in Jesus. Uh, anything that we add to the gospel is evil. He says, watch out for these dogs, these, these people who do evil. Well, he, he was surely talking about prostitutes, right? Or pedophiles. No, he's talking about preachers who say, you got to do this, this, and this, because Jesus isn't enough on your own. That is evil, guys. Jesus is the way to salvation. His sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection, and our faith in that is what makes the way for salvation. Hallelujah. Ephesians 2, Paul puts it this way. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from ourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that anyone, no one can boast. It's an amazing thing. We have been programmed that we've got to earn salvation. Salvation is something that comes to us through our faith in Jesus. 
Are there things that we will do in, in faith in Christ? Absolutely. It starts with making him Lord by willing to get on your knees, by saying, you are my Lord. Uh, there's a moment where you will confess him with your mouth as Lord. There's a time when you repent of your sin. There's a time when you'll be buried with him in baptism. But that is not what saves us. When we get to heaven, and we're given an opportunity to go into heaven, and I think it's going to be worked out much better than this. But let's say you get there, and they're like, hey, why should, why should you be allowed into heaven? Don't say, I went to church every day. Don't say, well, I taught Sunday school for 20 years. Don't say, well, I gave a generous portion to the building fund. Don't say, I was baptized in the church building. Don't start with I. Say, Jesus Christ saved me by the shedding of his blood and his resurrection from the dead. Amen. That is why we can go to heaven, because of Jesus. And Paul says, if we add anything to this, we're not resting in that grace. Here's why it's so joyful. This means that we all come to Jesus on equal ground. That's a big deal. No matter if this is your first Sunday to hear about Jesus or you've been in this church your whole life, we are all sinners saved by grace. And so when you fail, you are still saved by grace. When, when you don't live up, you're still saved by grace. When someone says, well, did your mom uh, teach Sunday school in the 80s? It's kind of like asking the question, well, were you circumcised? No. But I trust Jesus, and I have joy in that. And there is going to be a sign, though. There's going to be a cutting, but not of the flesh. There's going to be a cutting, I think, of the heart and the mind. Here's the way Paul puts this. The next verse says this. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who have been truly circumcised. If you want to know someone who's truly connected to the, the gospel is someone who has been cut of the heart. This goes back, I think, to, to Acts chapter 2 where people hear about the gospel and they say, hey, what can we do to be saved? Because their hearts were cut. They heard the message of Jesus and it says they were cut to the heart. The Holy Spirit convicted them. And then Peter says, repent and be baptized. Their heart was already cut. They were trusting in Jesus. So what do we need to do? And then he says, there will be things you do. But what saves us is the cutting of the heart, the, the change by the Spirit. And he says, we who worship by the Spirit are the ones who are truly circumcised or changed. He says, we rely on what Christ has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. So as much as we work and strive to work out our salvation, our confidence comes from Jesus, not what I do or what you do. And I can have joy in that. Because if I have a great week and do an amazing thing, or I have a lousy week and seem to fail as a father, as a preacher, as a friend, I am still saved by Jesus. My salvation is not balanced in how good I am. Our salvation is, is confident in Christ. He says we put no human confidence in our effort. Okay? But we're marked by the Spirit. You're like, I'm not sure about the whole marking of the Spirit. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 1. You also became believers in Christ. He says, you trust him. That happened when you heard the message of the truth. It was the good news about how you could be saved. It was the good news of Jesus. When you believe, when you trust him, when you made your Lord, you were stamped with an official mark. And, and the Judaizers are like, oh, the circumcision, this is where it all comes in. And he goes, no, look, he goes, the official mark is the Holy Spirit that is promised. That spirit that is put in us, it's a promise that when we are cut by the spirit in, in, in conviction that Jesus is our Lord and we do respond and we are baptized and the spirit comes on us whenever he wants, there's a marking in us for salvation forever. And that's what shows that we belong to him. It's grace on grace. Here's what I mean by this. 
We are saved by grace, and then God says, okay, I want to give you some more grace. Here's the Holy Spirit. That's grace on grace. That's generous. It would be enough if God says, okay, I'll save you. But he says, I'm going to save you, and then I'm going to give you grace by giving you another gift, the Holy Spirit. Man, that should give you joy. Just think about this for a minute. You're like, I'm still kind of bummed today. The, the bread's moldy, you know. I can't quite get past that. Well, let me tell you this. God lives in you as a believer of Jesus Christ, saved by his blood. And, and that can change any bogus thing that's going on in your life. Paul says, don't put any confidence in human effort, but I am confident in Christ. Right now, if you're considering where your confidence comes from, if you have joy or not, I want to challenge you to accept Jesus as your Lord. Because you will have days of happiness, you'll have days of of completion, but there will not truly be joy until Jesus is your Lord. So these things that we're trying to apply are predicated on the reality that Jesus is your Savior. So have you, have you made him Lord? Paul says this in verse 9 of chapter 3, I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I've become righteous through, the faith, through faith in Christ. That's the good news. So joy comes from knowing Christ and his grace. Secondly, joy comes from knowing Christ that he's better than anything in the world. This, this gets really practical here today. Grace is high level uh, spiritual theological thought. Now he says we need to understand God uh, has given us Christ and he's better than anything the world has to offer. Look at the way Paul puts it in verse 4. He says, though I, ha though I could be confident in my own efforts, if anyone could, Indeed, others have reason for confidence in their own effort. I have even more. And he tells us about the reasons he should be confident. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. He says, my parents did all the right things for me growing up. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and the member of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a real Hebrew if there ever was one. He goes, I I'm the real deal. I was a member of the Pharisees, which was an elite group of spiritual leaders who demanded the strictest obedience to Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Paul says, if anyone should boast about my prophets and my uh, pedigree and my potential, it is me. I am it. He says, I have much to value of who I am. But then look what he says in verse 7. I once thought these things were valuable, his pedigree, his position, his power, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's what he rejoices in. For this sake, I have discarded everything else. Well, what about, shouldn't you hold on to your cash or your power? He says, I've discarded everything for the sake of knowing Christ more. Accounting it all as garbage. That's a bold statement. He says, everything I used to have is garbage so that I could gain Christ. Garbage is, I think, here in the NLT version. The NIV, I think, says rubbish. We don't use that word rubbish. You know, like, boys, what you've done here today is rubbish. I don't say that. I may say this, though. It's all like trash. Here's a harder word that's really at the root of the real word. Um, the real word in the Greek is Scubalon. And it literally means dung or manure or, you know what? It's excrement. It's a mess. He says, 
in light of what Jesus is, everything else I ever try to hold on to is, is a pile of dung. It's a mess. And why do I put so much value in it? Now, I am not saying everything of this world is absolutely va- uh, has no value, but compared to Christ, it has no value. Amen. And Paul says, I'm willing to discard it all for the hope of knowing Christ more. I wonder what you're holding on to that's really a pile of you-know-what. Scubalon. Starts with the same letter, by the way. And it's a little extreme to say that, but Paul's trying to make a point. And he says, you've got to realize the stuff that you've been holding on to that's making your life stink. While sometimes it has some value, most of the time you've made a mess of your life by holding on to it way too long. And he says, I've discarded my scubalon. We should as well, compared to knowing Christ. I wonder what you have in your life right now that needs to be like Scubalon and get flushed. Some of the things, oh, I'll never get rid of that. Paul says, compared to Christ, we need to be ready to get rid of everything. Paul said, uh, my perfect pedigree is of great value, yet compared to knowing Christ, you know, I, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an Israelite to the, the, the ultimate degree, but it's nothing compared to knowing Christ. His powerful position as a Pharisee uh, created a lot of clout, gave him a lot of influence. He says it's nothing compared to knowing Christ. His personal profits, his success. You know, one of the things that Paul was most proud of before he became a Christian, he stood and watched and gave authority to those who stoned Stephen. But now... Compared to knowing Christ, all that power and authority is worthless. I wonder what we are holding on to that keeps us from really knowing Christ. I think a lot of times, it's a lot like Paul, it's social status. What people think of me, man, that's important. What I look like on social media. What others will say about me, man, that's what I want to hold on to. Compared to knowing Christ, guys, it's scubala. Maybe it's our church standing. I pray at Greenville First Christian Church, we're getting away from this because we're the, we believe in the ministry of all believers. We all have different gifts. But if we're not careful, we can go back to church standing and we can be like, well, my parents uh, were, were founding members of this, this, this movement and we actually helped build this church here. And my grandma taught Sunday school for a long time. So, so what? Compared to knowing Christ, your church standing means nothing in this building. But my education, Tyson, I've received a master's. I'm moving on towards a doctorate. And based on my knowledge, I, I can pursue joy at a higher level than most people. Really? Compared to knowing Christ, there is no joy. Paul's saying, don't hold on to that. But what about this, Tyson? My bank account's getting larger, and I feel a lot of security in that. The money I have feels good. Guys, what's money going to do when you stand before Jesus Christ in that day and say, have you made me Lord? It's going to be scubala. How about this? Our culture is so craving of this. Our culture elevates it to high level. There is great pleasure in this, and I want to celebrate a great sexual relationship between a husband and wife because God has given that as a blessing. There is a beauty in that that compares to even our relationship with, with the church and Christ. But of this world, especially what the world elevates, sex is nothing compared to knowing Christ. You're like, well, you haven't talked about mine. Mine has value. 
anything of this world that you're holding on to compared to knowing Christ is of no value. And Paul says, I have discarded it all. I have turned away from it all for the sake of knowing Christ and his power. I wonder if there's anything in this world that, that you're holding on to that needs to be discarded so you can know Jesus. You know what it is. It's scubala. And Paul says, it's got to be changed. Jesus' brother James writes this. When we hold on to things of the world, he's, here's what he says. You adulterers. A lot of times we think we keep the word adultery for a, a relationship sexually outside of marriage. In the word of God here, James is saying we become adulterous towards God when we fall in love with things of this world. Here's what he says, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship or love with this world makes you enemy to God? He goes, do you realize that? And we're like, no, maybe not. No, he goes on to tell us, I say it again, if you want to be a friend of this world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit that he placed within us should be faithful to him. Guys, I'm passionate about this today because God is passionate about this. When we belong to him and he puts our spirits, uh, marking us, cutting our hearts with his spirit, we're, we're to passionately live for him. And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourself before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. James puts it so well. He says, when you realize the things of this world that you're in love with, that you're friends with, we are to resist them because if they're of the world, they are of Satan. And we need to resist these things that, that, that pull us away from God. And he says, when we resist them and we do away with them, we can do something very important. But I want to get this off the stage first before it's a distraction any longer. These things are harder to move than you think. But once we resist the things of the world and we get them in the proper place, here, here's the part I want to focus on right now. It, it goes from a distraction to you're ready to pursue God. And when you come close to God, here's a promise. He will come close to you. There's joy in that. I've come close to a lot of things in life and their happiness for a time. Uh, Satan has a very uh, good way of putting before us things that are going to be good for a moment and then he, he has us in sadness and depression and doubt. But when we resist Satan, we come close to God, he comes close to us. Is there anything in the world that is more amazing than actually coming close to God? I don't know if you've ever really thought about that. We can draw close to a lot of things, but God's word promises that the creator of the universe will come and be with you and come close to you if you pursue him. That compares to nothing else. Nothing else compares to that. So Paul says, he can say this, whatever happens, whatever's happening now, I can have joy because I am with God and I know him. So here's a recap. We can have joy living in his grace. We can have joy knowing that we can be close to him and, and he is better than anything of this world. And finally, we can have joy by knowing his mighty power. This is the most obvious and, and hopefully the most inspirational. Philippians 3.10 says this, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. That's what Paul says I want to know. I want to know uh, the power of Christ. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that in one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. So get this, Paul's in prison. 
Things aren't going well. He says, I'm rejoicing. And he says, I actually want to know Christ more and the power that he has. And I realize that oftentimes the greatest time I feel close to him and empowered by him is whenever I'm at my weakest. Whenever I can't do it myself. Paul says that at our weakness, he is made strong. And so Paul says, I want to actually suffer so I can see him working in me so I can know him more. I don't know how many of you can say that today. That you're ready to suffer so that you'll know Christ more. Paul knew it and he, he, he lived in it well. Paul also believed with all of his heart that God who lived in him would overcome the world. I wonder how many of you believe in that miraculous power of Jesus that is alive in you that no matter what happens, you are, you are safe and secure in his hands. And in your suffering, you actually can grow with him. And in your suffering, you'll be put in a position to have joy and give God glory, maybe like never before. Joanne Johnson realized that this past year. Joanne and Dan Johnson have been a faithful part of this church for a long time. They own Johnson Sign Company, and we're partners with them in the gospel. They, they do signs around uh, uh, for us and, and our ministry a lot, and so we know them relatively well. Here's a picture of uh, Joanne and Dan uh, with their seven grandkids. Um, they have three children, seven grandkids. Three of their grandchildren right now are the age of three. You do the math, that's kind of hard to do, but that's truth. Three of them are three years old. It's pretty cool. They really love these kids. They, they, they want to spend a lot more years watching them grow. Man, that, they have joy from these children. They're living life, running a business, family's growing. And then last February, the beginning of the year, in the middle of the pandemic, Joanne comes to realization that she has a massive aneurysm. And with a massive aneurysm, when you know this, you're like, don't do much. It's a ticking time bomb that can take your life in a moment. So she starts going through some treatment, some therapy. I don't understand all those details. It was pretty intense. Uh, there was a, a fight of, of having the aneurysm be dealt with but not move and, and take her life. And during the treatment, one of the side effects could be stroke, and she had a massive stroke. And it almost took her life. She woke up, I forget the details, but she woke up later after the stroke. She couldn't talk at all. She couldn't raise or do anything with her entire right side. She couldn't even swallow. And, and so after uh, a short amount of time, the doctors, knowing how severe of a stroke she had, uh, said, we need to find some continued care because really she's stable, but she's not going to recover. It's going to take a long time. So we need to find her a place of, of therapy for this that will help her give her a best shot. And they don't offer that in Bond County, if you don't know. They couldn't find her a place in Springfield. It's during the pandemic. So they're like, man, maybe it's Chicago. They're talking about taking her to Chicago so that she can have any sense of life in maybe the years to come. And we catch wind of this, the church. Dan lets us know. So the people in the prayer team start praying. The elders start praying. That day I got on the phone with Dan and I said, Dan, would you just put me on speakerphone? And you were doing what you do well. You were praying. And I said, Dan, we just need to pray right now that God would use this to bring glory to him in this place of we're being overwhelmed. And so I don't remember the prayer I prayed. I don't remember what it was. But I just remember that I'd heard that she couldn't speak and I was hoping so much that she would say something. And when the prayer was over, you know, it was just like, well, we're being faithful. But God was faithful to work as well. Within a matter of moments, 
the doctor that had told her, hey, we got to find some long-term care, came in and she tells a story that he had the, his hands in his lab coat pocket. And when, when he came in, just shortly after the prayer, she raised her right arm and began to talk. And he was so excited, he uh, raised both of his arms so quickly, he tore his lab coat pockets out. And he went over to the bed. He says, I don't know who's praying for you, but people are praying for you. And I want to thank you on behalf of Joanne and Dan that we believe in the mighty power that God has in Jesus Christ through prayer in his name. Let's praise God for what Joanne's doing in, in her life. <laughs> Joanne was kind of giving me the basics of that story again and permission to share this week. And you know what she said towards the end of it, just in passing? She could have written Philippians chapter three because she says, you know what I've learned more than anything other than Christ's power is that the things that I used to value, the things that I used to think were important, they're not worth much anymore compared to what Christ has done for me. And I said, you're speaking the same message that Paul has about Jesus Christ. Joanne was here this morning at first service, and I asked you to keep praying for her. She is, I think, 99% recovered. She says there's still things that, that plague her at times. But continue to encourage her. And if you have a need, let us know that we can be praying for you as well. Because here's the reality. The God that lives in us, the Christ that, that dwells in us through the Holy Spirit, is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So here's what the scripture says. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. I'm so thankful sometimes when the Bible just makes this plain. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. In that, that, sh that should have been the sermon. That would have been enough. The same spirit that lives in, uh, lives in you raised Christ from the dead. And just as God raised Jesus from the dead, he will give life to the mortal bodies by the same spirit living with you, within you. I pray you believe that. That can give you joy in your darkest moments. Anybody know who Frank Reich is? Oh yeah, I got a couple football players. No, that's another hint. Frank Reich is the Indianapolis Colts uh, head coach. He is also a very strong Christian. Uh, the more I know about him, the more I like this guy, even when they lost last week. My, I didn't have any happiness last Sunday, but we can have joy that, that he is a great coach pointing people to Jesus. He's really a preacher uh, at heart. Um, but in 1993, he was the backup quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. In 1993, the Buffalo Bills were expected to, to go to the Super Bowl again. But then something happened the last regular season game. Their Hall of Fame quarterback, Jim Kelly, had a major injury. So Frank is now the quarterback. Do you know how badly they get beat by the Oilers the last game of the regular season? I think 27 to 3 with Frank being the quarterback. And they're like, yeah, we're going back to the Super Bowl. No, you're going to get smoked the first week of the, uh, of the uh, playoffs by, guess who they're playing? The Oilers with Warren Moon. Remember that big offense that could score a lot of points? In the first half of the first playoff game against the Oilers, the Bills were in trouble. Frank was a quarterback, and they got totally smoked. Halfway through the third quarter, uh, I think the deficit we're going to see on the screen is an extreme deficit. No one had ever came back from that deficit until they began to play as a team, and they didn't give up. Watch this clip.
in the game, the Bills needed every bounce of the ball to go their way. And a little onside kickoff, and it didn't go far enough. Wait a minute, yes, it did. Let's see who got the ball. And now they're in their cars listening to the play-by-play, -play, and they're realizing something amazing is going on, so they're turning around. Right, kickoff out at the 48-yard line. Well, maybe the Bills can turn it here. The ball was back in Reich's hands, and four plays later, it was back in the end zone. Man rush drops back in the pocket, sails it long, oh, baby at the 10, at the 5, in for the touchback! Simply went from 35 to 3 to 35 to 17. Indeed, he put a move on the corner, Jerry Gray, and was wide open down the near sideline, and suddenly, which stadium has awakened? Frank had lived for years underneath the star power of the, the big-time quarterback, the Hall of Famer. On this day, when they should have gotten beat and they were getting beat badly, he led them uh, uh, to a victory. In that moment of great hype, this young Christian man was tempted to, to celebrate his own accomplishments, his own glory, his own, uh, his own purposes. And as he walked into the press conference and everybody wanted to talk to Frank, how did you do this? How did you lead your team that was so uh, far uh, under uh, to, to the greatest comeback in the history of the NFL as a no-name? And he could have started saying, well, I deserve a starting position somewhere next year. He, he could have won all these things. But you know what he did? And I couldn't find any good footage of this, but it's well documented. He stepped up to the microphone, and before a question was asked, he began to read the lyrics to his favorite song at that time. It was entitled, In Christ Alone, by Michael English. And here were the first words. In Christ alone I glory. Though I could pride myself in battles I've won, for I have been blessed beyond measure, and by his strength alone I overcome. And the place went silent that this young man who had done an amazing thing that day was giving the glory to God because he was saying, I'm not trusting in anything I've done. I'm trusting in what Christ has done in me. And, and what Frank testifies is now, as he tells that story, that he thought that song was written for him on that day when they beat the Oilers. And he said, boy, was I wrong. That song has been written for every day of the Christian life. Whether you have a victory or you have a loss, that you will say, in Christ alone I stand. So whatever's taken from you, whatever you're given in victory, we need to be ready to say, in Christ alone I stand and trust that in him alone that we have the ability to overcome. And I'm going to end quickly today because we've covered a lot of content, but we can have joy because of his grace. We can have joy knowing that he is greater than anything of this world we might hold on to. And we can have joy that his power can raise us from the dead and overcome any obstacle we face. If you need to reground yourself in that, I would love to pray with you today as we sing this song. Maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I've never had joy because I realize I've never trusted Jesus. I'd love to talk to you more about that. Would you stand with as we sing and, and let these words of the song soak into your heart? Father in heaven, we thank you for today. And we thank you for Jesus and his grace. We thank you for his greatness. 
And we thank you that he is greater than even death. And we will be raised again someday, those that trust in him completely. Let us live out his will for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.